Father, as we do open your word, our heart's desire today is for you to speak to us. We came here, gathered together, to lift up our hearts to you and and tell you that we love you and, and to hear from you. And we want, God, you to speak to our minds, our intellect, but also our hearts. Change us today, oh God. And let, let your word resonate deep within us. Thank you that we have this, this section here that gets to me kind of real, real about life. And we get a glimpse into the heart and the, the attitude of the Apostle Paul. And, and I pray that that would affect us. And that, Lord, we could leave here today knowing we've been in the presence of our God. We could leave here today knowing that our God has spoken to us and ready to honor you and glorify you with our lives. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. At the end of chapter two, when we left off, Paul had declared to the church how he knew that he was drug away. He even used the word kind of orphan, and I was pulled away from you, but I had a heart to come and see you, but I wasn't allowed to. I was stopped by Satan. And then he talks about how much he loves them. Now today, listen, today it's gonna kind of, I look at, at chapter three almost as a big parenthetical thing. Paul's gonna let us see a little bit of his heart and exactly how he was feeling about that church and what was going on But more importantly, he's also gonna let us know that you and I, speaking to them, need to be careful about allowing circumstances to change how we view about God or to control us. He's gonna let that church know you can't let what's going on control you or more importantly, you can't let what's going on skew how you look at God and what God is doing. He's gonna do that, he's gonna, and, and I love it, he's gonna send Timothy there, Timothy's gonna go on a recon mission, he's gonna come back and talk to, to Paul, and we get to be all part of that, and we get to wrap the whole thing up with this phenomenal prayer. So my prayer today is that this would really affect us. Again, we wouldn't just read, oh yeah, we did chapter three, and move on with life, and nothing happened. But that God would move mightily in our hearts, and in our midst. So he starts out here in verse one and he says, therefore, now if you've been with the church long or those who just did the inductive Bible study, you gotta ask what the therefore is there for. So once again, he's talked about being taken away from them and he's still there in heart, but taken away. He loves them, Satan has hindered him from coming back but they're his jewel, right? He says, hey, you're our hope and our joy or in our crown of rejoicing. So he lets them know he loves them and then he says, therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left, uh, to be left in Athens alone. So kind of get a picture of what's happening. Paul was in Thessalonica, planted the church. Rebel rousers came in, Judaizers came in. They're angry that the church is being planted. So they go after Paul, but they can't quite get to Paul and, and, Ty, and Tylus. Silas and Timothy, or Tylus and Timothy, but they couldn't quite get to him. They couldn't get to him. So they drag out Jason, remember? And they drag out Jason and they put him in jail and Paul, the church, gets Paul out of town at night He goes to Berea, spends some time there. They follow him there, cause problems there. And then he's in Athens. So here's Paul in Athens, 
And Athens was probably a city that was not real, real cordial to him. But he's in Athens, and now he makes a decision. Listen, he makes a decision to go alone and send his two, I think, both of his two right-hand guys who were really close to him to go back. Timothy, go back to Thessalonica. Silas, you go check out what's going on in Philippi. And he says, listen, we, I love this, we, he says, we, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left alone. I think the we there's not a literary we, you know, sometimes when people are writing or even me speaking, it's like we, and you just include everybody as part of that. I think this we is Paul, Timothy, and Silas. They got together, and here's what they decided. It's fine for Paul to be alone, the other two are gonna take off. Now, one more thing to notice that sort of blows my mind. He says, when we could endure it no longer. Do you ever think of Paul just kind of being human? And Paul getting to the place where he's so consumed with wanting to know how the church at Thessalonica is doing that, man, he is struggling to just keep going. Because the way this is worded, when we could endure it, and I mean, listen, it's a weight on us. It's overbearing to us. We got to find out what is happening in Thessalonica. So I think that's important that we pay attention to because here's what it tells us. Paul was just like us. He struggled with things. Things got him down. Things were difficult to deal with. So he says that. So listen, when we can endure it no longer, we thought it was good to be left alone in Athens. Verse two, and send Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow labor of uh, fellow labor in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and encourage and and encourage your uh, you concerning your faith. So listen, man. He goes, hey, when we couldn't handle it anymore. Number one. He sent Timothy, and he describes Timothy a little bit, and we'll get into that, but if you know your Bible very well, you know Timothy was like a son to him. They were tight. They were close. And from the description he gives us here, I think Timothy was like one of the tops. I think Silas was one of the tops. And here's what's interesting. Paul sends his best to go check on him. Not his worst. Listen, some churches are good at sending those people they don't want around anymore. I know, let's send them out on a mission field. And then they just create a mess. I believe as a church you should always send your best. And he sends his best, man. He sends Timothy to check on him. Now he has Timothy go there, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to the end of the verse and then come back and kind of unpack the middle of it. But he says, listen, I sent him, number one, to establish you or strengthen you. Number two, to encourage you, to come alongside you concerning your faith. Here's what Paul was freaking out about. He was freaking out about how are they doing? How are they doing in their faith? And again, I think, I think he's in freak mode. And that kind of does me good because I don't know about you guys, but I get in freak mode every once in a while. And you start freaking out about things. You, we know we're not supposed to freak out about things. As a matter of fact, this same Paul wrote this passage. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Present your request to God. Uh, uh, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Here's what I think. Dude, you wrote that, and here you are sitting in Athens freaking because you don't know what's going on in Thessalonica, and you're worried about them. So he sent, he sent Timothy to strengthen them and exhort them, encourage them. Now, Timothy, let's look at him for just a minute before we move on because I love the way he describes Timothy. He says, Timothy, our brother, minister of God, and fellow laborer, fellow labor in the gospel of Christ. So first of all, Timothy's his brother. I know he treats him like a son, but also it's important, he looks at him like a brother. Listen, he's not saying brother like we do. You know, when we don't know someone's name in church, we go, hey brother, how are you? He's not using it that way, and I know you guys do that. So, so listen, this is a brother as far as he feels, man, he feels close to Timothy. He loves Timothy. And he calls him a brother, and then he calls him a minister of God. In our generation, when we hear the word minister, we think of someone with a title and doing something in a church generally, right? Not your heads, even if you don't act like you do. That's generally what we think, right? In that generation, that word minister, do you know what it meant? Servant. He says, hey, we, we thought we would send Timothy our brother and servant of God. And I kind of love this whole idea. Listen, Timothy wasn't like going there as, I'm the minister. Timothy's going there, I'm a servant, and I'm here to serve you guys. And then the last thing, and this is the one that, that I kind of really like, he says he's a fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. Paul obviously was a leader, right? He was a church leader. I mean, man, he went and planted churches. Come on, you read about him. This guy was, a, this guy in my mind was a mover shaker and no matter, you know, and you just gotta know that he was a go-getter. But listen to what he says about Timothy. He doesn't say, oh, I sent this guy that I raised up and I discipled this underling. He says, he's my brother. He's a servant and a fellow laborer, not an underling, a fellow laborer. So Paul looks at him as an equal, not as a less than. And I think it's important. We need to understand, hey, we all have different giftedness in the church. We all have different positions and different, different uh, uh, callings that God has called us to. But we're all equal. Just because somebody has one gift and somebody has a different gift doesn't mean they're greater than. We're all equal. We're all the church of Jesus Christ. We're all moving forward. We're all in this together. We are trying to go forward together, and some of us are doing one thing. Some of us are doing another thing. Some of us have a more upfront, up, you know, ministry. Some of us have a more, you know, behind-the-scenes ministry. But we're in this. One is greater than the other. So I think that's important. But even greater than that, here's what I love. Timothy was a team player. Hmm. You see, he was a co-laborer. My years of ministry, I've had some people come around that were not team players. They had their own agenda. They had what they wanted to accomplish, what they were doing, and we just happened to be a stepping stone in their journey of life. That's not good. You want team players. And Timothy was that. And again, read the letters to Timothy, read the book of Acts. So, so you have all that. So that's who's going to, now, now, 
I don't know about you guys, now I feel a little safe that Timothy, Timothy's coming, right? That's who's coming to Thessalonica. That's who's gonna encourage us. So then he says, listen, I sent him to encourage you concerning your faith, verse three, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. Oh, I don't, think, I don't think things settled down in Thessalonica after Paul left. Luke doesn't give us a whole bunch in the book of Acts about it because he's following Paul and going along with Paul. But somehow Paul understands there was still some trials going on. There was still things happening in their lives. There were things going on in their lives that those guys in Thessalonica never, ever, ever, ever thought would happen in their life. And now all of a sudden they're face to face with something that could train wreck their faith. And here's what Paul says, I sent Timothy to encourage you and to let you know something. Those afflictions, those difficulties, don't let them train wreck you. Did you hear what he said? Listen, he says the afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. That's not a popular message in Christianity. See, in Christianity, a lot, of, a lot of people spend time telling you, oh, God just wants to bless you. God just wants to take care of you. God just wants to heal you and make you whole, and God just wants to make you wealthy and all of that stuff. Listen carefully. My Bible says we're appointed to afflictions. And I kind of like, we're gonna read some more. The New King James avoids the word persecution and talks about afflictions and tribulation. Because I don't think a lot of us, and this is just my, well, and maybe it's my, where I'm at age-wise, I don't think I'm gonna face real difficult persecution in the church in the United States of America. I think I'll die before all that starts happening. I'm an old guy. Old guys rule. So, but listen, but here's what I do know. I've walked through, and I will walk through some afflictions. I will walk through trials. I will walk through things that I would never choose for myself, ever, ever want to choose it for myself. It's painful. It's heartbreaking. Some of it's physically horrible. But listen carefully. I know my God appointed that for me. How do I know that? Because my Bible tells me. Oh, check these passages out. Listen, this isn't just Paul. Matthew chapter 4. John chapter five, that's Jesus telling us the same thing. Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas sharing the same thing. Second Timothy, Paul again sharing with Timothy. First Peter, Peter's sharing the same thing. And here's what he says. Don't let those things derail your walk with God or even get you sidetracked, but you allow those experiences to do what God intends to do is to change you and mold you and shape you and make you into the man or woman of God that he has a plan for. I believe the trials and afflictions that come in our life are there purposely by God to build character and build uh, our, our Christian faith in us. And when we begin to look at them like that, guess what? They become a little bit easier to endure. They become a little bit, you kind of look at them, but 
a lot of us, man, this is where we struggle. And this is where the church at Thessalonica was struggling. And look at what he says, verse 4. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened. And you know, here's what he says. We told you this was coming. Now that sort of blows my mind because he wasn't there that long. I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking Paul was there, you know, for a couple months. My first couple of months in ministry, I was not talking about tribulation. I wasn't like getting the church ready. Okay, here's what's going to happen. I was like, Jesus loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. And I believe that to this day. But God's wonderful and our wonderful are two different things. I know that God wants to do a work in my life. And I know that God is going to bring things into my life to accomplish what he wants to get done in my life. And I've got to look at him that way. And I have to be someone, you know what? It's okay. Someone much wiser than me said it best. A faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And so you have, listen, you have this coming in. And Paul says, we told you. We let you know about it. And then in verse 5, for this reason when we could no longer endure it. Oh, you kind of hear? He's still in that place, right? For this, when we still, listen, he was struggling with it. When we could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. I had to send somebody. I had to find out. I wanted to know why, because I don't know if you guys know this. We have an enemy of our souls, we have somebody that wants to wreck our life, Satan. And Satan's got buddies that kind of help him out. And he says, listen, I was concerned because I was worried the tempter may have tempted you. How does the tempter tempt us? Here's how he tempts us. The circumstance comes in our life. What's that thing that whispers in your ear? God doesn't love you anymore. God doesn't care. God's not listening. You ever hear those little whispers in the midst of pain and suffering? Yeah. And that's the devil saying, hey, he doesn't, he's really, he doesn't even know you're going through it. And he's tempting us, what? To reject the truth of God. We looked at those passages. We know that, we know that the Lord predicted those things. He's told us those things are gonna happen. So we need to stand firm and we need to be people we're not listening to the tempter. Now, Paul wrote in Timothy, and, and a lot of us know this verse, Paul wrote in Timothy, how do, how do I battle that temptation when the tempter comes? Well, I battle it with the word of God. I battle it through the promises of God, not the promise of deliverance, the promise that I know you're going through this, but I got this, it's okay. Listen, in, first Timothy, or in 2 Timothy chapter 3, a lot of us know this, right? All scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable, listen what he says, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. A lot of us know that, but do you ever meditate on that? Do you ever meditate when he's, you know, why did Paul put it out like that? I wrote it down this way. Doctrine tells us what is right. Reproof tells us what is not right. Correction tells us how to get right, and instruction tells us how to stay right. 
And listen, he wasn't just stringing words together. That was very purposeful in that statement. And when those, listen, man, when the tempter comes, I know that every time I've walked through something difficult in my life, I have had to fight that fight. I have had to fight against and do that spiritual warfare and stand my ground and not let the tempter try and drag me down. And so that's what Paul says here. Man, when we could endure it no longer, we sent Timothy, we wanted to know how your faith was, and he says, lest our effort was in vain. Now, so that's all, listen, that's all the background he's telling them why Timothy was there. Now, now he tells us in verse six, because we're down the road a ways now, but now that Timothy has come to us from you. So now, listen, Paul made it all the way to Corinth because I know he wrote this letter from Corinth. Now he's all the way in Corinth. So he left Athens alone, went on this journey. He's in Corinth, and Timothy comes back. And he says, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us, we also to see you. Here's what he's saying, man. Timothy showed up. Don't you think... If Paul twice used the word that he was enduring something, that he was having a struggle, don't you think when, Tom, when Tommy, Timothy, right? When Timothy walked through those doors, don't you think he went, whoa, yes! Because I think Timothy came through with a big smile, right? Yes, he knew what happened, man. Timothy knew he had good news and he would walk in there and Paul would go, yes, yes! And he's excited to hear and, and here's what he says, man. I heard that you guys are making it through this. You guys are not letting circumstance dictate reality. You're letting your walk with the Lord dictate reality for you. And he says, man, and then, and then I kind of love it. He says, listen, Timothy brought us a thing about your faith and your love. And then here's the thing that kind of blows my mind, and that you always have good remembrance, remembrance of us. Now, a lot of us think, well, of course they would. Do you remember what happened? Again, think about what happened. Think about in your own life. What happened was, Paul was there planting the church. Chaos broke loose. Riot, a huge riot started. They wanted to kill Paul, and they drug off Jason and, and, and a couple of his buddies, and they had to shoo Paul out of there at night. Now, I want you to think about, would you have good remembrance or bad remembrance? Here's the problem with a lot of us, usins. We remember the bad and not the good. The Thessalonians were remembering the good and not the bad. We need to battle that. We need to battle that in our minds. I hope you understand. I would say 90% of spiritual warfare is right here in our heads. And we need to battle that. So listen, man, I love the idea. You had a good remembrance of us. And then he says, listen, and, and, and he tells him, he says, and, and you greatly desiring to see us, and we want to come and see you. So they had that mutual, man, we need to be together. We need to be with each other. And then Paul goes on. Listen, he goes on in, in, in verse 7 and says, therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. Here's what he's saying, man. Paul's still going through stuff. It didn't stop for him. Check out what went on in Corinth. Check out what went on in Corinth in the book of Acts, but read the two, two letters to the Corinthians. It was, not, it was not party time in Corinth. It was like a tough, tough ministry. 
And if you've ever been involved in different kinds of ministries, there's some ministries that you just fondly remember, and there's some ministries you're going, that was hard, and God does a work in you and changes you, but it's difficult. And he's saying, hey, as I was going through that, the thing that got me through was hearing about your faith was hearing about what was going on. That got me through even to the point in verse eight, I think this is bizarre. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. I reading, and as I read this, here's what I'm hearing. Paul was desperate, he was to the point, he was, and maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I'm gonna use the word depressed, to the point where he's saying, once I got good news, now I'm alive again. Oh, Right? Now we live, why? Because of your faith. Don't tell me that man did not make emotional connections with the churches that he planted. He wasn't just some kind of mechanical church planter that kind of went through, although when we read the book of Acts, it seems that way, right? Boom, 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 and he's going. But man, he connected with people, and he had a heart for people. So Paul laid all that out. Listen, all of this is to tell us kind of, hey, here's what happened. And again, I think parenthetical, he talked about being drug away, and then here's my heart, man, as I was away from you in and physically, I was still there spiritually. I sent Timothy, I wanted to find out. When we found out, man, our world changed radically when we found out you're okay. So all of that, and then now, now he's going to pray for them. And this is what I love. So he lets them know, here's what happened, or lets us know, I think they already knew. But here's what happened, and now here's Paul's prayer. I love this. I love how he, how he addresses them. Verse nine, four, what thanks can we render to God for you? So that's kind of a rhetorical question. He goes, how can I thank God for you? You guys are so amazing. And that's a good thing to tell people, right? You should tell your, your friends and stuff. You should tell, you know, quote, brothers and sisters in the Lord. You should tell them that. But he goes, what thanks? Listen, what thanks can we render? I don't know, you know, I don't, I don't have words to say it. So what thanks can we render to God for you? for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before God. Listen, you guys have brought us so much joy in our lives because your faith is okay. I don't even know how to thank God for you. And then he says, night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and, perf your, and perfect what is lacking in your faith. That's the second time in this letter he's used night and day. I get the impression that whatever Paul did, he was all in. He like didn't, you know, he wasn't the guy who went to the swimming pool, stuck his toe in to see how cold it was. He's the guy that walked up to the swimming pool and jumped in, right? He's all in. And he goes, listen, man, night and day, and, and just the way he says this, night and day, and he says, he says, as, as we're there, and he goes, and Praying exceedingly. I think he prayed a lot, don't you? Doesn't exceedingly kind of insinuate? He's praying a lot. And night and day I'm praying for you guys. And the first thing he prays for him, because he's gonna pray for him for three things. The first thing he prays for him is that their faith would be strengthened. Now, here's what blesses me. I think they had strong faith. Because they're walking through that affliction. They're walking through those trials. But something you and I need to know, you have victory in one trial, you know what's coming? Another trial. Yeah. 
And we need to understand, I, my faith has to continually grow and be strong. And I have to continually make sure my relationship with the Lord is in the right place. I have to essentially work at it. Not work at my salvation, work at my relationship. Because here's what I found, I've been married to the same woman for almost 51 years now, and, and here's what I know. I have to work at that relationship. Our relationship ju didn't just happen, and we just so happened to stay together for 51 years. It's work, and I'm not saying it's, it's ugly, but it's work, and the same, with, the same with our relationship with the Lord. You have to work at it. And he goes, you gotta work. I want your faith to be strong. So number one, any church leader, and as a church leader, my prayer is always that as the body of believers, our faith would be strong. So he prays for that, and then, and then as he continues on here, he says, listen, he, sa he says, now may our, in verse 11, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. So I'm praying for your faith to be strong, but I also, do you hear, Paul's still, I wanna get to Thessalonica. Now I have read ahead. He doesn't make it. He never goes back to Thessalonica. So, but he had that desire to. But I wanna do, I wanna do just a little bit of curve. So we're gonna go like this. We're going down a road, right? We're teaching going down a road. We're gonna do this. So when we sweep over, sweep back. But here's something I find interesting. This is a side note. Paul here in verse 11 says, now may our God and Father himself, who's he talking about? God, right? He's talking about God. May our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ. Who's he talking about there? Jesus, right? This is not hard. I'm not like trying to trick you. Everybody's like looking at me like, oh, I think he's gonna get us. <laughs> he brought up God the Father and he brought up Jesus, right? So in that sense, and, and just walk with this with me, he brought up two different persons, right? And he says, so if I said, I hope that Pastor Jack and Pastor Rob can do something, and you know, let's say, I can't think of a good thing right now, but you know, when you do that and you have two people, what kind of verb are you gonna use? Plural, right? Because you're talking about two to do something. You'll say, and they do this. Here's an interesting thing. The verb he uses here is singular. Hmm. I, here's what I love about the Bible. There's those little nuances, and I know that has to do with, with more with uh, original language, but if, if you get into the original language, it says, now may the God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ singular direct our way to you. Not plural, they direct our way, but him. So what does that make the two people? One. Yeah, isn't that great? So that's just a side note. So now come back. All of you are down there. Now come back. And here's what I love. The Bible, and people will tell me this all the time. You know, the Bible never mentions the Trinity. Why do you believe in the Trinity? Because it doesn't mention the Trinity, but it does mention the Trinity. And little passages like this. Here's the thing I found about God. I'll let you in on something. God never defends himself. Have you ever noticed that? Like God's not really worried what you think of him. Like, you know, he doesn't go, oh gosh, I hope they like me. And I hope, he just states facts. And he does it in such a way, even in his word, that it's kind of undercover, but it's there. It's glaringly there. So 
So come back, okay? So what is his prayer? His prayer is that God would make a way for him to go to Thessalonica, right? He still wants to go there. And verse 12, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another uh, and to all just as we do to you. So here's his prayer. Number one, I want your faith to be strengthened. Number two, I want you to abound in love And I love the way he puts it. I want you to abound in love toward one another, the fellowship, right? And to all. But listen carefully, the love has to start here. Here's what blows my mind as Christians. As Christians, we shoot each other, we backbite each other, we pinch each other. You know, I I think of my brother when, when my brother and I were little, I was the little brother, and my brother would always thump on me, you know, when the parents aren't around. He'd thump on me, he'd pinch me, he'd give me pink bellies, he'd do those things, and then the mom and dad around, I didn't do anything. It's like, dude, you did too, you did that. Shut up or I'll beat you. Yeah, so listen, as Christians, we do that all the time. Here's what Paul says, I want your love for each other to abound. We should be loving one another. Now, you know, sometimes, and, and I'm sharing this, and here's what I know, even, even this size, like this group here, not everybody here is gonna love everybody here. You can, you're, not, you're not even gonna know some of the people here. You'll never even get to know them. Even in our group that's not huge right now, you're not gonna get to know them. So hey, here's the thing, some of us go, oh, that's so big, I can't do that, I can't love everybody. No kidding. But you could love the person sitting in the same row as you. You could love the person sitting right behind you. And you could start working that way. And I think we should. I think we should be a group where we're, you know, hey, you know, we have the greeting time. That's not, that's not fellowship. That's just like barely saying hi and moving on. I, I get bummed out. People go, well, we had fellowship today. No, you didn't. You said hi to somebody. That's not fellowship. That's not getting to know them. So we need to abound in our love here so that we can abound in our love out there. Because we work it here and we practice it, we're gonna be better at it out there, right? So work at it a little bit. Listen, I'm not gonna watch you and I'm not gonna you know, make sure you're doing things right on the way out and, and stuff. Some of you, some of you, here's what I know because of our culture. Our culture is different than their culture, I get that. And some of you, and I'm not picking on you and I'm not just pointing you out, but I kinda am, but not meanly, but some people in our church beat out those side doors right there. Soon as church is over, they're pew, And you know what? That's okay. That's who they are. Don't get, you know, some of us go, well, why are they doing that? Probably none of your business is why. You don't know what's going on in their life right now. You don't know what's happening in them. And don't chase them down. I want to know what's happening. Stop. And you tackle them in a parking lot. That might not be a good idea either. But listen, I get that. But do we work at the people that are even close to us? And How about this? Even the people that we've met here and we like here and we hang out with here, are you loving them? Now, having said that, listen carefully. Love does not, is not always mushy, gushy, kumbaya. Sometimes love is this. Hey, brother, you should not be doing that. Why on earth would you do that? You need to stop now. I'm here to help you. That's love. So, 
Love one another, right? So let's practice that. So I want you to, I want your, your faith to be strengthened. I want your love to abound. And then here's the good one, verse 13. So that he, the Lord, may establish your, your hearts blameless in holiness before God our, and our Father at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. Yes. Here's what he's saying. We need to be a holy people. Now listen, having said that, holy people doesn't mean we're gonna get robes and walk around like this with halos. Holy people, it means we're gonna be set apart. We're gonna be people who we're drawing closer and closer to the Lord so that this place, this world we're in, is kind of a strange land and we know we don't belong here. Doesn't mean that we're not doing outreach and stuff, but we understand we belong someplace else. And his blameless is not... Uh, a perfection, it's talking about we mature in our holiness. And he says, listen, I want you to do that, why? Because guess what? Jesus is coming back. And he's coming back anytime. I am pretty strong, well, I'm very strong, on the pre-tribulational rapture. And not because I wanna argue with people, not because I think I have everything right, although I do think that. It's for this one reason. The pre-tribulational rapture position, which is taught throughout the New Testament, if you read it correctly, is this. Jesus can come back at any moment. Hey, I was a post-tribber for a long time. The post-trib rapture position, a lot of stuff has to happen. The Antichrist has to show up. The whole tribulation period has to happen, and Jesus can't come back at any moment. There's too much that has to happen. Oh, the pre-wrath guys that don't want to call mid-trib anymore, they call it pre-wrath. We got a, you know, same belief system, just repackage it. Well, those guys, certain judgments have to happen, but those judgments aren't from God, although God is doing them. I don't agree with that. Every judgment in the book of Revelation is from the hand of God. So, they say no, and then halfway through. So here's the thing. The only position where Jesus could show up at any moment is the pre-tribulational position. He can show up at any moment. And what does Paul say right here? I want you to be holy and blameless. I want you to be at that place when he comes. I want to be, be doing the right thing when Jesus comes. I don't, I don't think any of us, listen, Man, you don't want to be in some like really gross sin. And Jesus shows up and now all of a sudden you're face to face with Jesus. That's gonna happen. Here's the first words out of your mouth. I didn't expect you right now. <laughs> and his word to you would be, I know. You don't want that, do you? Don't you want your first face to face with him to be, oh Jesus, I love you. I love you so much. So here's what he's saying. Live a life in expectation that Jesus is gonna show up any moment and you will be a person who you become in what he's talking about here, blameless and holy at his coming. Now, some people get mixed up here and, and this is kind of a difficult thing the way Paul wrote it. He says, at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. And so some people say, no, this is at the end of the tribulation when he comes with all of his saints because that's when we're coming back with him, right? Nod your heads even if you don't believe it. That's when we're coming back and we're gonna set up the millennial kingdom. So listen, they're going, that's what he's talking about. Let me tell you something. 
You don't have to be holy and blameless when you're coming back with Jesus because you're already going to be perfected, even if you're a post-tribber. If you're a post-tribber, you think you're going to go up and come right back down, which I don't quite understand the drive-through, marriage supper, the lamb, dinner at McDonald's. So anyway, get our thing on Revelation to get that. But listen, it just doesn't make sense to be holy and blameless to be called for that because you will be perfected. So, and then others go, well, what he's really talking about is angels. That word is never used for angels. So here's what he's talking about. When Jesus comes with all his saints, when he comes and gathers us, who's gonna be with him? All his saints. And he's not saying, listen, he's not saying like he's gonna come with his saints and then we're gonna be there. He's gonna come with his saints and we need to be found holy then. Are you with me? So I don't, think it gets, I don't think it has to get that complicated. You know the brainiacs, they go, well, if you look at this, and I'm going, just love Jesus and understand he's coming for us and we have to live a certain way. So you guys got a little bit more because you came to the second last service. So you guys always get more because you're rowdy and you come to the last service. You're a rowdy group. So what did we learn? Well, we learned number one, Paul got a little bit anxious about things. He had a little bit of anxiety. That should comfort us because we get anxious about things. We get a little bit of anxiety. And so, but we saw how he dealt with it. He dealt with it by getting information, by getting that information into his heart. So the same with us, right? We get the word of God into our heart. But then I love his prayer and, and that should be our prayer for ourselves and for our church. Our prayer should be that we would grow in our faith that we would abound in love towards one another and towards all, and that we would be people who are ready for Jesus to come back. Man, I'm, I'm, like, thinking, I'm like thinking by the time I say amen at my prayer, we're out of here. Wouldn't that be good? You guys ready for today? I know the one little boy one time, there's this whole thing. He was asking everybody if they're ready to go see Jesus, the pastor. And this one little boy wouldn't raise his hand. Why won't you raise your hand? He goes, he goes, because I don't want to go right now. And he says, I thought you were getting a load ready to go. So I'm not raising my hand. So some of us think that way, right? I'm not, not, not right now, now. Oh, no, right now, now. I think that would be good. But man, let's think about that prayer for them and put it into our lives. Let's stand up and pray. Father, we do thank you for your grace in our lives. And I thank you for Paul writing this and giving us this letter. And that, Lord, that here he is letting us get a glimpse of his humanness. He wasn't some kind of superhero, super saint that did everything perfect. And yet, Lord, also in that humanness, we see a man who absolutely confidently trusts in his God. And Lord, I pray that that would impact our lives, that we would, we would understand there are times we just freak out. There are things that touch our lives that, that put us in a position that we just can't put it all together. And I pray at those times are when we trust our God. That we learn from this, that's when we draw close to you. 
and we allow that to build character and build a holiness and a confidence in our lives. And I pray that we would be people who grow in our faith, who abound in our love, and who become people who are consumed with being holy before you. And I'm gonna ask you to stay in an attitude of prayer for a couple more moments. And if you are here today and you've never asked Jesus Christ to forgive your sins, you've never asked him to come into your life and to guide you, man, today is a day of salvation. You're not here by mistake. And what's great is if you wanna be forgiven of your sins and you want a way to heaven, the Bible says, all you have to do is trust him. Jesus came and died for our sin. Doesn't just mean the physical death. He died the spiritual death that we owe. My Bible says the wages of sin is death, meaning separation from God. And Jesus paid that price, that eternal separation from God in an instant, in a moment of time. And now to me he, and to you, he holds out this receipt that says paid in full, all you gotta do is receive it. All you gotta do is take it. So if I'm talking to you today, right now, this afternoon, right now, call on his name. And by that, here's what I mean. You're gonna have to be real with God. You're gonna have to let God know that you know you're a sinner. That's where it starts. And you gotta tell him you're sorry for your sin, which you've gotta be to have salvation. And then you've got to accept the fact that Jesus Christ died for your sin. So if you want to do that, I'm going to lead you in a prayer and kind of put words in your mouth. And you can say this prayer with me. You can say it out loud. You can say it silently. If you're backslidden, say this prayer with us. Man, if you're backslidden, my heart goes out to you today. You're a miserable individual and you need to come home. You need to come back to Jesus. Say this prayer with us. If you're watching online, you can say this prayer with us and, and, and call on his name and you will be saved. You don't have to be in this building. You can say it right where you're at. Jesus, today, I confess to you that I am a sinner. I'm sorry that I sinned against you, God. And right now, I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, Thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you today for your forgiveness. And right now, I'm asking you to come into my heart and change me. Jesus, come into my life and guide me. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior.